Are you living your life to the fullest? Guess what? It's never too late to start. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is on the air, providing a roadmap to greater health, passion, and adventure. And now, here are the baddest boomers in broadcasting, Mark Middleton and Bill Schaefer. Oh, thank you, Russ. Uh, hey, everybody, welcome back. This is Mark, uh, that is Bill, and this is the Growing Boulder Radio Show. And, folks, we like to consider it kind of a GPS for the rest of your life, showing you a whole new direction down roads that literally no other generation in history has ever even had the chance to travel. If you've wondered if there's more out there for you, the answer is a resounding yes. Man, that was beautiful, Mark. Hey, give us an <laughs> hour and you'll see how empowering it can be when you live your life to the fullest. And you'll see that it is never too late to start. We're going to hear the stories of people out there right now who decided to make that change. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that's how we define growing bolder. And right now we're going to start off with perhaps the boldest of them all. This is a guy that Bill and I have known for years. We have come to love. In fact, he was the very first man in space. And no, it's not Alan Shepard. Shepard did it in a space capsule. Our guest did it in a balloon. And do you know what he did? Uh, how he got back to Earth after flying the balloon into space? He jumped out. He set the record for the highest parachute jump in history, and it's a record that still stands today. It boggles the mind. But you know what? If that was all he did, he might not be on the program today. Wait till you hear about his other accomplishments. But what we think is the coolest is the man is in his 80s, and he's still on the lookout for his next great adventure. Here is one of the most amazing men either one of us has ever met, Joseph Kittinger. How are you, Joe? Hi, guys. Nice talking to you. Man, it's great to have you on the program. And I, I wanted to uh, find out a little bit about your story and maybe something I have never asked you before. Was there an incident in your life, Joe? Can you can you pinpoint exactly when it was that you first fell in love with the sky? Well, my father said it was when I was 18 months old when I first when I took my first flight uh, uh, in a Ford Traveler airplane. He said I was the only person, maybe on the airplane, and I was the only one that smiled all the time. So <laughs> that's probably when my love of aviation started. And when did you figure out that not only did you like to go up in the sky, you liked jumping out in the sky? <laughs> well, that came about as a little different way. Uh, actually, uh, I, uh, I made some jumps because I felt that as a fighter pilot, I need to know how to jump. So um, I volunteered to, for my first parachute jumps. And I made 10 jumps and got a Navy parachute rating uh, during the, after those 10 jumps. But it's something that I felt that I needed for my uh, professional education as, as a fighter pilot. And by gum, I was right, because I ended up making two uh, emergency ejections from uh, fighter airplanes uh, during my Air Force career. So my parachuting information uh, not only uh, was good for research, but it was also good for my survival. Let's, t let's go back to 1949, because that's the year, as we understand it, that you joined the Air Force. Obviously, they liked you. It, it took you very little time to move up to a lieutenant. As you mentioned, you were flying the fighter jets. But your life really did take a big turn when they transferred you to New Mexico, and you met a guy by the name of John Paul Stapp. Yes, yes, he was a visionary, uh, Mark and Bill. He was a visionary. And I was just a very fortunate person that I ended up being uh, assigned uh, to the fighter test section there at Holloman. And I worked very closely with Dr. Stapp, who was at that time was in charge of the Air Med Lab. But uh, 
that was a, really a turning point in my career was my association with with Dr. Stapp and, and the research that I became involved in. You know, Joe, he either really liked you or he really didn't. Because when a project came up where he wanted to see what would happen if they sent a human to ridiculously high altitudes, he recommended you. <laughs> well, it, the, the way it was is every time I found out about an interesting project coming along that he was working on, I was the first one that volunteered because uh, it was exciting. It was, it was an exciting period of time back in the early uh, 50s. We were just talking about thinking about going into space. Uh, we would fly the exciting airplanes. And the Air Force was the golden age is what I called it, uh, that, that that I was involved with. But uh, I, I was interested in research. I was interested in doing things that nobody else had done to to, to better our knowledge and to make it safer for aviators. And uh, so I look forward to having an opportunity to uh, contribute. Well, let's talk about how you did contribute, because it is still mind-boggling to this day. A series of high-altitude balloon jumps, and we'll work our way up to the big one. But in 1958, you, you rode a balloon up to 76,000 feet, and you jumped. But, but this one didn't go very well. Tell us what happened. Well, uh, that was the first jump. But first of all, let me tell you that uh, we were there not to set records. We were there to gather data that we needed for the space program. So nothing we did was to set records. It was just to gather information we needed. The first jump was from 76,000 feet, and we were in, on our way. Our next jump was going to, supposed to be over 100,000 feet. But we, first of all, had to demonstrate the system would work at 76,000 feet. Well, we had a little procedural problem, and I, instead of uh, being able to use the small stabilization chute that we were developing, I, I free fell from uh, 76,000 feet. I entered into a violent spin and was rendered unconscious, and my emergency parachute worked and said save my life. Wow. So the, we, uh, we, we determined what happens if a person ejects at a very high altitude, and I demonstrated, uh, I didn't want to, but I demonstrated what happens without stabilization. So, so right after that, Joe, where pretty much anybody else would have quit and walked away, <laughs> 25 days later, you did it again? Yeah, because I knew that what that uh, the system would work, and I, I was just looking for the opportunity to, to demonstrate that it would work because uh, we had worked a year and a half. I had a great team of people I was working with, and we had worked together for a year and a half uh, to get things prepared for these jumps. And I, I had confidence in myself and in my team and my equipment, and so I couldn't I couldn't get back up quick enough to uh, to demonstrate the system would work. And a month later, I did make another jump, this time from 75,000 feet, and everything worked perfect, uh, just like it was uh, designed. So uh, then we were ready for the big jump, which was over 100,000 feet. Now, 100,000 feet is very close to being in a vacuum. There's only five millibars of pressure at 100,000 feet uh, versus a zero in, on the moon or zero in a vacuum. So it's very, very close to being an absolute vacuum at that, that altitude. So uh, that's what we, we were looking to get as high as we could get. Now, an interesting thing is if we had an aircraft that we could have used, that, that we had used an aircraft instead of a balloon, because the balloon complicated the, the whole experiment. But there wasn't an airplane that would get us that high in those days. So uh, I, we had to use a balloon, which made, made it more complicated, made it more laborious, more, uh, more troubles and so forth. But... That was the only way we could get up there. 
Folks, you are beginning to understand why we dig this guy. Joe Kittinger, August 16th, 1960, he rides a balloon to 102,800 feet, and he jumps. Not for fame, not for glory, not for money, not for a record. He does it because his country needs the research. And Joe, on the way up, uh, you had a problem with your spacesuit, really the world's first spacesuit. You, you had a leak in a glove, uh, uh, and what did you do? Did you, did you tell the, the guys on the ground that you had a leak? Well, no, I, I determined that my right glove was not working at about 40,000 feet on the way up, and I knew if I told the people on the ground that I'd had a failure of the glove, they would have made me abort the flight. So I, I didn't tell them because I didn't want to uh, compromise or jeopardize being able to demonstrate the, the equipment from 100,000 feet. So I opted not to tell them. Uh, and I took a risk. Nobody had ever been up uh, in space before without a uh, glove on their hand. And so I was going into an area that we had no data whatsoever. But uh, I had confidence that the system would work. And, and tell them what your hand looked like when you got to the ground. Well, it was about... It was about twice its normal size, uh, a little bit painful, and I couldn't use it. But we had designed the system so that we could uh, use uh, uh, the other hand to accomplish the, all the tasks. And another amazing thing for people listening, Joe, you were the first to exceed the speed of sound without a vehicle. Let me say that again and give this a minute to sink in, folks. The guy was literally traveling faster than a speeding bullet. Well, but you see, uh, there's no pressure up there, so you're going extremely fast because that thermal velocity at that altitude, but the body had the same pressure as, as if I was at thermal velocity at sea level, but I was going extremely fast because of the lack of pressure at that altitude. And, of course, as I fell, the pressure increased, and I constantly slowed down all the way down. Mm. You know, Joe, we don't want to get into politics here, or this will go forever, but, but what you pioneered back in the 1960 is a high-altitude escape from a vehicle, something that if, if NASA had uh, uh, implemented years ago in the space shuttle disaster, possibly the, the lives could have been saved. Is that where you saw your, your contribution headed? Absolutely, and it's, it's indeed unfortunate that NASA didn't uh, use what we developed because the uh, Challenger... Uh, actually, uh, they could have escaped at 100,000 feet, but uh, unfortunately, they, they didn't go that direction. But, you know, what's really gratifying is that today, every escape system in the Air Force, Navy, all the Russian, all of the ejection seats around the world use that small stabilization parachute that we developed 50 years ago. So it's still being used today. So we did make a contribution. We made a contribution to air crew members that are flying at extreme high altitudes uh, in, in, uh, in, air, in high performance aircraft. So we did make a contribution that was used and still being used today. Well, Joe, for everybody, we would like to say thank you. You truly are an American hero. You are right there with guys like Chuck Yeager and Neil Armstrong. Does it bother you at all that your name isn't every bit as well known as theirs? Oh, no. Uh, we didn't do it for notoriety, we did it to gather knowledge that we needed. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, honored when I have folks like you and you and Mark and Bill uh, uh, honor me with your, your kind words. But, no, uh, we, we were just part of a, of a cadre of people that were working. You know, there's no such thing as large 
jumps in, in knowledge. They're very small incremental bits and build upon each other, and that's how we advance as a society. There's no giant leaps. Uh, there's a bunch of little steps, and ours was a small step that we used to uh, for to advance the knowledge that we needed for uh, how to escape. We are talking to aviation hero and space pioneer Joe Kittinger, and we want to continue this conversation. But 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 folks, think about this. You know, as Joe mentioned. Uh, what he did, he did not do for a record. Uh, that wasn't what they did back then. But we certainly live in an era of record-breaking attempts of all sorts, especially those involving anything in aviation. And this would be the most prestigious record of all to get today, to break Joe Kittinger's record that is now uh, over f- almost 50 years old, to, to rise to above 102,800 feet and skydive out, and nobody has done it. Nobody has even attempted to do it. They, they they think about it, they plan it, they consider it, and yet they don't do it because it is that phenomenal of a record. And imagine, Mark, also the technology that's taken place since oh. Joe did it. Nobody had ever gone up that high. We didn't have a vehicle that could take you that high. Nobody had ever worn a spacesuit in space before, and nobody had ever plummeted the speed of sound with their own body. As we said earlier, there's so much more adventure left to talk about. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the incredible Joe Kittinger. This is the Growing Boulder Radio Show, proving to all you young punks out there that Grandpa's got game. This is Brenda Lee, and if you're not listening to the Growing Boulder Radio Show, I'm sorry, so sorry, that I was such a And those who are not listening today truly are sorry, folks. I'm Mark, uh, that's Bill, and because we're talking to a living legend, uh, a pioneer of the skies, a true American hero, Mr. Joseph Kittinger. Joe, thanks for hanging out. Well, thanks for having me on your show. We're thrilled to have you. Let's talk a little bit about Vietnam, because not only did you volunteer for duty, you volunteered three times, commanding the famous 555th Tactical Fighter Squadron. You flew 483 missions just a week away from going home for good, presumably, when you were blasted out of the sky a prisoner of war stuffed in the Hanoi Hilton, one of the most ruthless torture camps in the history of, of war. Uh, what was that like? Well, it was another tour of duty. You know, uh, if you to be a POW, you've had to have survived uh, an injection. And, of course, about 90% of the people that were shot down in combat didn't get to be a POW. So we were, we were really the lucky few that, that survived the ejection and the shoot-down. And uh, for all of us, we were just, it was another tour of duty. Uh, it, it was a crummy tour of duty, but we were there as soldiers. We were there as professional soldiers, proud of our country, proud of our service, and do the best we could do under very adverse conditions. And, of course, we had been well-trained uh, and prepared for such a, a incarceration. But uh, 
And then, then when we walked out of there, we were better Americans and we were better people because of the experience that we had. You know, Joe, you retired from the military at the age of 50, and instead of playing bingo and watching Matlock, you spent your retirement by setting a world record flying a helium balloon from Las Vegas to New York in just 72 hours, and you were not exactly ready for a celebration when you landed, were you? No, it was right in the middle of a snowstorm near Franklinville, New York, and but uh, it, was a, it was in preparation for a flight across the Atlantic Ocean. And the flight across the Atlantic Ocean was in preparation for a flight around the world. So these were sequential events. Uh, after my flight uh, across the United States, which I set several world records, uh, I was solo on that flight. And then uh, a year later, I took off from Caribou, Maine, and flew nonstop from Maine to Italy. I was the first person to fly nonstop across the Atlantic Ocean in a helium balloon. And we did that just for the adventure of it. Uh, you know, most everything else I'd done in balloons was done uh, mainly for research, but this was just an, an adventure. It had never been done before, and it's something that was a challenge, and uh, it was just done for the fun of it. And we should note, folks, as you hear Joe talk about these things, you listen to them. Um, if you want a visual, go to growingbolder.com because we have got great stories actually showing Joe jump out of the balloon at 102,000 feet, Joe taking off on this adventure that he just described at the age of 54, by the way, becoming the first balloonist to ever fly solo across the Atlantic. That's the same thing that Lindbergh did, but, uh, Bill, he had a motor. It's, it's incredible to think about that, Joe. Was there risk involved at this? Was were, were you doing a foolhardy thing, just getting up in the wind and hoping you'd blow over to Italy? Well, it never been done before. Uh, and But I had confidence in myself, my equipment, my team, and uh, that confidence was, was in fact, uh, correct because I made it. There's, there's always a chance you might not make it. There have been seven other people that tried it, and nobody had ever made it. So it wasn't something that was a slam dunk, but it was something that was... Uh, that we guessed right. I had the right team and the right people and the right equipment, and I made it. But it was done just for the fun of it, just for an adventure. And by the way, uh, we, we love your website. It's a very entertaining website. And I think your program should really be called not growing older, but bolder, but growing older, because we're all growing older. And uh, But I still love flying. I still fly balloons. I fly airplanes. Uh, aviation is still my... Uh, my, my love, and I'm still much, very much involved in, in flying uh, above the, the earth. Two other loves we want to mention of yours. One is your incredible wife, Sherry, and I know that you couldn't have accomplished half of what you did without her support and without her by your side. And the other love that you have, Joe, is talking to school kids, spreading the message, telling them about honor and dignity and doing what you can to contribute to your country. What can we learn from you about aging, about being 80 and still out there and relevant? Well, I look at every day as an adventure. Every day is a blessing, really, when you think about it. Even at young ages, every day is still a blessing. Uh, and, and I want to contribute to the community if I can, because I've had a wonderful life. Uh, we're all so fortunate that we're Americans. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And, and we're all very fortunate people. And to kids, I, I tell them, you know, that, that to, to, they're responsible for their own actions uh, and, and to be uh, dedicating themselves to working hard because, you know, I've never met a man or a woman that was successful that didn't have to work hard. And, and those are things are free lunch. And, and when I speak to kids, I tell them to, to, to have that discipline, to have that respect, to, to love their teachers, love their country, 
and uh, do the best they can do. You know, a person does the best they can do. Uh, you can't get any better than that. The amazing Joe Kittinger. Joe, thank you so much for your time, folks. A legendary pioneer of aviation and space, a war hero, an adventurer, a, a motivator. And, and, Bill, we really didn't even have time to touch on so many parts of his life, including uh, the fact that he was Michael Jackson's private balloon pilot. Isn't that amazing? I mean, a, a, a man who's done so much ends up side-by-side side with a pop culture icon, and it's no wonder that Jackson implicitly trusted this man with his life in this balloon and and it's it's also says something about joe that he wants to share that thrill he loves taking people for plane flights for balloon rides because he wants you to have the same thrill and understanding of what it's like to step out of your comfort zone as he has done his whole life. A gracious man who has always lived life very modestly, not looking for the spotlight, but uh, folks, we're doing our best to shine the spotlight upon him because he certainly deserves it. He is a unique and iconic figure in American aviation history. So once again, go to growingbolder.com. As Joe said, it's a great place, and you can see video uh, of him jumping from the edge of space. You can listen to him talk about his time as a prisoner of war. And by the way, his cellmate was a guy by the name of John McCain. John McCain. All of that is on growingbolder.com. You owe it to yourself. Look at it and show your kids. They just don't make them like that anymore. You're listening to the Growing Boulder radio show. It does a body good. <laughs> 